Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for more great podcasts. As always, you can support the show and get months worth of bingeable content over at patreon.com backslash badaxepod. There is a link in our show notes. Memberships start at just $1. You can also support the show for free by leaving us a positive review and telling a friend about us. Now on to today's case. The case we are doing today might be a little controversial, so we'll see how everyone feels about it. I have my opinions. Uh, We will save those for later, so don't worry if you're new. We're not going to just talk about that up front. But I do think that there might be a lot of uh, thoughts about this one. So prepare yourselves. It's going to be very interesting. There's like a lot of crimes. It's more crimes. It's a crime Russian doll situation where... (laughs) I started with one crime, and then as I, like, unpacked it, there's even more crimes. Nice. So, prepare yourselves. All right. Today, we are going to Kansas City, Missouri in January 2021, which is very recent. Kansas City is the largest city in Missouri with over 500,000 residents. It's part of the Kansas City metropolitan area, which stretches across the border between Missouri and Kansas. The city includes where the Missouri and Kansas rivers merge together and the city's downtown is located there. I have just a couple of fun facts. Kansas City features one of the largest farmers markets in the Midwest. There's an old vaudeville theater there. It has its own type of jazz called Kansas City Jazz and its own kind of barbecue. And also this was wild, but Walt Disney used to live there and actually animated his first film in Kansas City. Wow, I did not know any of that. I know, I did not either. You're not from Kansas City, though, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) In January 2021, 21-year-old Titiana Coppage was enduring a tragedy that no one should have to experience. She grew up in a hard-working, close-knit family. Her mother, whose name is both Taisha and Tisha, I'm not sure what her actual name is. On her Facebook, she has Taisha and on... The obituary for her son, it says Tisha, so I'm not sure, like, which one of those is correct. But she met Jason Ugu, which is spelled U-G-W-U-H, but appears to be pronounced based on videos I found, Ugu, senior, when Titiana was very young. And they, together, they had three more kids that were her three younger sisters, siblings, rather, and these three siblings were all boys. They're um, Jason Jr., who went by JJ, and that's J-A-Y-J-A-Y. I feel like that they would want you to know that. Yeah. Jaden and Jacoby, who goes by Kobe. So they have this family now, and they're, you know, they love each other. They're doing family stuff. It seems to be like a really tight-knit family. As the eldest of four children, Titiana helped care for her younger siblings. And sadly, however, they wouldn't all make it to adulthood. In August 2016, a horrific event struck the Coppage Ugu family. 
In August 2016, a horrific event struck the Coppage Ugu family. Nine-year-old Jaden and his eight-year-old cousin Montel Ross were playing video games, although some reports say they were sleeping, but the general consensus seems to be that they were playing video games. And this was inside their family home, which was located near 57th Street and College Avenue. This occurred on August 13th, 2016. They were playing video games at around 1.30 a.m. and so far had been a quiet night. They'd actually just begun their new school year at the local elementary school, so this was just like some fun cousin time to sort of kind of, I guess, blow off childhood steam. Yeah, yeah. So they're just having fun at home, and as they were enjoying their night, a barrage of gunfire exploded outside the house. Oh, no. And bullets punctured their small tan and brown home where the family was both sleeping and just having fun. And unfortunately, bullet stroke struck both Jaden and Montel. Oh, no. Wounded, Jaden actually went to his brother, JJ, for comfort. And JJ at the time was only 12. Jaden crawled into JJ's bed and snuggled against him. And JJ actually held his brother in his arms as he passed away. Oh, my God. That's so awful. I know. It's like the worst thing. Their father, Jason Sr., did interviews with the news because they were hoping that they would be able to get tips about what happened. And he told WDAF News, quote, He, meaning Jaden, didn't even cry, just got hit and ran and laid up under his big brother. Like he knew exactly where to go for comfort. You know what I'm saying? Unquote. Man, that is so tragic. Yeah, and if you watch the video of this interview, JJ's actually in it, and he's just crying softly next to his father as his dad is talking to the news crews about the crime and just detailing the horror of watching these two kids, this eight and nine-year-old who are his son and his his nephew, just get murdered in their own homes. Jesus, yeah, for real. Mm -hmm. And then also the nightmare of having this poor 12-year-old experience this death because it's not just the loss it's the fact that he also had to be there Mm -hmm. and like comfort his brother that's just like so unbelievably horrible yeah that's got to be an awful memory yeah and then the dad is also trying to express to the camera during this interview that he has to now try to help his son get through this horrible pain when he himself is going through this horrible pain and what do you, how do you handle this? Yeah, absolutely. So at this point, the family has been rocked by this horrible crime. And unfortunately, they are hoping to get answers and some sort of justice. Obviously, when kids are killed, I feel like there's not really justice, but like you just get what you can. And so they went and they did these interviews. They did everything they could. And yet no one had come forward with any clues. And to this day, they still don't know what happened. The police labeled the crime as random gun violence, but also at one point claimed that they thought that it was possible that someone in the home was targeted, but the boys weren't the intended victims. However, I don't think that that is accurate based on what the family's been through because they've been doing rallies and all kinds of things. And it's clear from what they've said that they have no idea who could possibly be behind this. And we're going to get to... Uh, the main story in a minute where they did have an inkling on who was behind something and they did something about it. So I don't feel like the family would, could, anyone could have been targeted just because of the fact that the, they don't have any clue who did it. Yeah. Like they don't know. So like if you had a reason to be targeted, you could say, oh, that person has a reason to target me. But in this case, they are all just looking for answers. Yeah, exactly. So even to this day, like they've hold, they've held a lot of events and a lot of rallies, and they've made a lot of shareable memes and stuff that you can share on social media 
just trying to get justice for these two children, these actual like little bitty kids that yeah. were murdered by this person. And still to this day, there there's been like no arrests. Nobody knows who did this. Man, that sucks. I know it's terrible. So obviously though, this left a big scar on the families. And if you, I have actually found all, like most of their Facebook accounts and they're like really public. So I went through and like constantly they're all posting about how sad they are. Like it's just something that's continued for, I mean, obviously that makes sense because it's kids. I mean, it's a family member. I know I just lost my mom and I'm just like constantly heartbroken over it. I can't imagine losing these little kids like this and having two in the family. So there's a lot of like repetitive like posts about how much they're sad about it. So I think that this definitely, you can tell, left this like really big mark on the family. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so keep that in mind as we move forward because they are still looking for tips. And I will tell you before I move on to the next part of this case that there is currently an award of, I believe it's around $28,000 now for tips to help solve the murders of Jaden and Montel. So if someone for some reason does have information, there's a lot of money that you can get to help solve this crime. Although you probably should have just told them so they could get justice. But I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. hopefully the money will motivate somebody. Absolutely. At the time of her brother and cousin's murders, Titiana was just 16 years old. She has a December birthday, so there's like, it seems like she might have been older because she's 21 at the time and 21, but she has a December birthday, so she turned uh, 17 after the murders. Right. After the crime, Titiana focused even harder on protecting her baby brothers, JJ, who was five years her junior, and Kobe. Jason went by the nickname JJ, which I told you that before. 16-year-old JJ attended Hogan Preparatory Academy and then Raytown High School briefly, where he both studied and dominated the basketball court, earning the title of star player. And it appears that he was really into basketball. There's a lot of photos with him with his team and doing basketball-related things. He loved spending time with his family, who, as I said before, were very close-knit. And he also wanted to... He liked music in addition to basketball. He did rap, He did some rapping, like he liked to be a rapper. And he also liked cutting hair. And so he had planned on becoming a barber if his NBA dreams or his like rapper dreams didn't pan out. And so he would practice his barber skills on anyone who would let him. And he also had posted videos of himself dancing. Like it looked like they were TikTok videos. So I think he might have liked dancing based on that. Nice. But his family definitely mentioned a lot about him liking music and basketball and the hair thing. Which I thought was so cool because, like, what 16-year-old is that, like, motivated Yeah. to be practicing, like, all of these different skill sets? Yeah. It's a lot. Absolutely it is. Yeah. So he's, like, prepared. He's got all kinds of future. Yeah. In addition to school, basketball, and his other hobbies, JJ attended Victory Outreach KCMO, which KCMO is what the nickname is for Kansas City, Missouri, where he participated in youth activities, worship, and he made great friends. His family say that JJ was a hard worker with goals and he aspired to help his family like they helped each other because basically his both of his parents were considered to be very hardworking and were trying to support their kids. And his mom actually posted about having put in really long hours to make sure that her children had everything they needed because she wanted them to have a good life and a good upbringing. Right. And to be fair, it sounds like she was doing a great job because, I mean, he was doing like 14 different things and had like three different career aspirations <laughs> And that's pretty epic. Absolutely, yeah. 
tragedy, unfortunately, though, would cruelly strike the family again in January 2021. Because on Sunday, January 10th, 16-year-old JJ was walking with two of his friends at around 7.30 p.m. According to accounts, they had just left a BP gas station that's located at 40 Highway and Topping Avenue. As the boys were walking toward a house down the street, which I believe was the home of one of his friends, someone fired at them and the bullet struck JJ as they passed by Paloma Street. Oh, no. Yeah, so JJ was shot. Now, his friends helped JJ to the house where they were walking to so that they could get him help. Because basically, I mean, if you think about it, obviously it's scary. I mean, you've just been fired at. You just want to get to safety. So they managed to get him into the house to safety. And once they were inside, they called emergency services. But unfortunately, JJ did not survive his wounds. Oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah. So this is her second brother who's been murdered and her mom's second child who's been murdered. Yeah. That is just like, how does that even happen? Yeah, that's so tragic. I don't even know. Like, literally, I was just like, are you kidding? He died about two months before his 17th birthday, which was March 15th. His mom, who's listed again as Taisha Ortisha, planned to surprise him with a trip to Atlanta. Oh, that sucks. I know. She had, like, this whole thing planned and was going to tell him because he really wanted to go there. They have family there based on Facebook posts. And so she was going to surprise him with this trip to Atlanta. And then he gets murdered. Man, that is so heartbreaking. Just, it's just, unre- yeah, it's just unbelievably sad. Yeah. And so, yeah. So this is the second murder. In, well, third murder in the family overall, because remember the cousin was murdered. But now the second brother has been murdered. And obviously Titiana is like already been through this trauma. And she's just 21 years old. I don't even know how she's handling this. Yeah, me neither. So after the murder... His mother posted the following memorial for JJ on Facebook. Quote, I tried to shield y'all from everything I had to witness as a kid. I supported anything and everything you wanted to do in life. I tried to give you the best so you wouldn't have to look for fake love in the streets. I worked hard and long hours to keep a roof over y'all head. Nice clothes and shoes on y'all feet. Refrigerator full of groceries. The streets didn't raise y'all. I did. Shit ten toes down. I was at those games as much as I could. I was paying for your studio time for your trips, no matter the cost. All I wanted to see you happy, finish school, make it to the top. But somehow I still failed you. This wasn't you, Jason. You were so sweet, so quiet, an honorable young man. Why didn't you just hear me out? I only wanted more time with you. That's all. Cry face, cry face, cry face. I love you so much, son, unquote. A lot of news reports had reported that Tiziana wrote this on her Facebook wall, but the post actually appears on their mother's Facebook page, which makes sense because she calls JJ her son. And this has been like wildly like shared. So I wanted to include it. Um, I don't think that I like did it, did it justice reading it, but that is what she shared. And she had like a picture of him. Well, actually it was a series of pictures of him as like a memorial. Now the family mourned the loss of three family members, two of them, the brothers, And for Titiana, this pain was just too much to bear. And I totally get it because I don't know, I don't know how any of them are functioning. Yeah. It's just, it's just too much. Yeah. That would be overwhelming. I think it's also important to keep in mind that at this point it had been four years since the boys were murdered and like a little over four years since the boys have been murdered and no, nothing had happened. Like the police didn't have any suspects. They, the family had no idea who killed them. And if you recall, the family had had also, or the police rather, had come out and said that they 
also were investigating that someone inside the house had been targeted, which if the people in the family say that's not what happened or they don't have any clue who could have been targeting them, that seems like it's not quite helpful for what the family's wanting, which is justice. Yep. So at this point, we're going into or we're coming out of this murder, this horrible murder of the 16-year-old child with the family knowing that this prior case of a murder of an eight and nine-year-old has gone nowhere. Yep. And I think that's important to keep in mind as we go into what's about to happen. On Wednesday, January 13th, 2021, Titiana decided to get justice for her brother. That day, she called the man she believed to be involved in her brother's shooting, 36-year-old Keith Lars. Now, there's some debate over whether or not she called him that day or a different day. I have some court documents that suggest that she did call him, but also some reports suggest that she may have called him on a prior day. So that might not have happened on the same day. But we do know is that on the 13th, Tiziana found out that Lars was going to be at a, an apartment complex. And she followed a gray Toyota that was driven by Lars's brother that had Lars in it into an, that apartment complex. And the parking lot for this was located on Thompson Avenue and Benton Boulevard, which is important. The parking lot is shared by two, apart, two apartment complexes. So it's kind of like boxed in. Titiana then confronted Lars and his brother as they exited the Toyota. Now, according to a witness, the witness saw all three of them get out of the car and then talk. And then Titiana got back into her car. So whatever Lars told her did not quell the rage that she was feeling about her brother's murder. And so when she climbed back into her vehicle, she retrieved her gun. According to the witnesses, she fired several shots at the vehicle where Lars was, or at them standing outside the vehicle. And these shots struck Lars in the chest and leg. When she fired, Lars pulled his gun out and shot back. After the gunshots, Lars's brother drove them away from the scene with the intention of driving his brother to the hospital, but stopped the car a little way down the road to get help. He stopped in a residential area near an apartment complex. The brother then jumped out of his car and shouted for help, saying his brother had been shot and he was able to flag down a nearby firefighting crew who'd been responding to a different call. Additionally, security officers from a nearby complex responded to his cries and called emergency services. Police and first responders rushed to the scene and when they got there, Lars's shirt was pulled off but still attached to him around his wrist, like someone had pulled it off but it was still attached. Yeah. And also his pants were pulled down. But it's important to note that he had an upper right chest wound and a lower leg wound. And so it's likely that his clothes were pulled off just because they were trying to check these injuries and treat them. Yeah, yeah. Despite the best efforts of paramedics, Lars died at the scene. And later, the Jackson County Medical Examiner ruled Lars's death a homicide. At the scene, police began questioning Lars's brother, who refused to provide any information about the crime. Hmm, that's weird. You'd think he would want... Yeah, Yeah. unless you're doing something wrong. That's a good point. Yeah, to me, that is super suspicious because, I mean, really, like if your brother was shot and I was going to tell you this later, but he was, you know, he was there right next to him and he was yelling like, fuck, 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 and trying to drag this guy in the car. Yeah. Which we're going to get to because I wanted to save that for the witness statement. But that is so suspicious. Like he didn't give a description of the vehicle or say what was going on. Like he didn't want to talk to police. Yeah, that is very suspicious. Meanwhile, police figured out that the brother did not own the gray Toyota. So they contacted the owner and she arrived at the scene and and signed a consent form that gave officers permission to search the car. There they found a treasure trove of evidence. This included 
a jacket and sweatshirt with blood on them in the back seat. More importantly, they found two guns in the gloves in the glove compartment of the car. The first gun was a Glock model 19 9mm that had an extended magazine, and the second gun was a Glock model 30 45 caliber. So keep in mind that he has both a 9mm and a 45 caliber gun in his car. Yeah. While investigating the shooting, police identified eyewitnesses who described the vehicle driven by the shooter, a black Ford Escape. Additionally, officers recovered surveillance footage that helped them track down this vehicle. A maintenance worker found the suspect vehicle in a separate apartment complex located at 11338 Blue Ridge Boulevard. And this is about 20 to 30 minutes away from the crime scene, if you map it out. The black Ford Escape had a blue tarp draped over it. But since it's a big SUV, the blue tarp really only covered the top of it and, like, the windows. Yeah. The lower part of the video of the vehicle remained exposed, and so the police were able to see several bullet holes on the passenger side. However, these bullet holes were partially disguised because someone had covered them with tape and then colored the tape with black marker. <laughs> That's kind of clever. I know. I thought that was really genius. I mean, obviously it didn't work because they could still tell, but I was like, okay... That's that's some effort right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was, yeah, I, I was kind of impressed. I wouldn't have thought of that. So that's what they did. Although um, I do want to point out that it did turn out that this SUV was a rental car and someone else had rented it. And I just felt really bad for that person because I hope they had insurance for real. Like I'm not trying to make a joke because that sucks so hard to have rented a car and let someone borrow it. And then now it has bullet holes in it. Yep. How do you even explain that? Yeah, exactly. I don't even know. That would be a very awkward conversation know, with the rental sucks. people. So um, sucks to be that person. I feel bad for them. But when the police found this, it led them straight to Titiana Coppage, partially because they had surveillance footage of her exiting the vehicle and going to another vehicle and several other people that were like connected to her going towards this vehicle and also the other vehicle that was on the grounds. So they brought her in to talk to, them, to her and she told them that she had only called the victim out of a hope for peace because she and her family believed that Keith Lars Jr. is the one who had shot her brother. And this is later on we are going to learn that Lars is actually a cousin of Titiana. I think he's actually her mom's cousin and so then also her cousin because you know how like that works. Yep, yep. But... I do think that, um, but yeah, he is listed as her cousin. They're both listed as cousins. So she had called him out of a hope for peace because she said that her family thought that he killed her brother and that the father, like her father in particular, was like building up to go after him. And so she didn't want her father or this guy to end up harmed, according to her, and was worried they might kill each other. So she thought she would call him to, like, resolve the problem. Yeah. That's what she said. She went to the parking lot to talk to him, according to her, but during their discussion, something went wrong, and she claims that Lars fired on her vehicle first and that she fired back in self-defense. She did admit to police that she shot his car and that she shot him, but she said it wasn't murder because, according to her version of events, Tiziana was firing in self-defense, and that means she was just protecting herself. Right. So if Lars did in fact kill her brother, her story would make sense though, because he shot a teenage boy for no reason. So why wouldn't he shoot his sister? Yeah. So that's what, you know, that's what, you know, it kind of makes sense in a way. Yeah. yeah. Now at the time of her arrest, police found a gun on Tiziana that matched the ballistics that were from the gun used at the crime scene to kill Lars. 
And this gun also had an extended magazine. It was a 45 caliber gun. But the question is, is it murder? Because did who fired first, really? Yeah, exactly. Well, there's no doubt that someone in Lars's vehicle, or that either Lars or his brother, fired bullets at Titiana's car. Though police initially didn't release which brother fired them. At the scene, though, they located 23 total shell casings. Wow. Uh, like a whole shootout. 23. That's so yeah, many bullets. That is a lot of bullets. Yeah, so it was quite a gun battle. Now, of those casings, eight of them were 45 caliber, while 15 were 9 millimeter. So that means we know for sure that Lars fired 15 of the bullets for sure because he's the one who had a 9 millimeter gun. Yep. But if you recall, he also had a 45 caliber gun. So the question is... Did he fire any of the eight bullets? Yeah. But still, I do want to point out that Tatiana or Titiana was very, very lucky because she had all these bullets fired at her and she was not struck. So points to you, girl. Like, if I were her, I'd be thinking I was getting blessed or something. Yeah. I'm just, I know that sounds wrong because I don't support vigilante justice, blah, blah, blah. But also, in this case, I get why she was doing it because I feel like she reached her breaking point. She's young. She's lost two brothers. The police haven't done anything about the first brother. I think she just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. But I think that I would be feeling that way if I were her. Because that is, like, really lucky. Yeah. At this point, though, police did not believe Titiana's story of self-defense. And they claimed that text messages show that she planned the murder. In one text, she had asked her auntie for forty-five caliber bullets, which authorities believe that she either planned to use in the murder or planned to use to replace bullets in the gun that she used in the murder. Right. However, I do think a good lawyer could argue that she just was trying to self-defend herself because I feel like if you've lost two brothers to gun violence, I just think that you are thinking about that all the time. Yeah, you I mean, might be a little paranoid. I mean, not par- not paranoid, but you might be very cautious about yeah, that. Cause, I, I mean, exactly. I feel like if there's a reason to be paranoid, it's not paranoia. Yeah. And I think if I were a juror on this trial, I would be... I would be able to believe that she was just trying to feel safer. Yeah, exactly. It's not paranoia, like you said. Yeah, and so maybe she did plan to murder. Maybe she just wanted to protect herself. Also, again, i just like to note that there were 15 9mm bullets and 8.45. So he fired a lot more bullets. So that, you know, she had a reason to be scared. Mm-hmm. Like, this is obviously scary. Uh, maybe she did just want to talk to him. I'm just saying. I don't... Yeah. I, I, it's entirely I think, possible. I think she did go there to, pause, to probably confront him, but I just don't feel like it's, like, for sure for me. I feel like there's doubt for me. Yeah, she may have gone there to confront him, but she may not have in, gone there to kill him, you know? Yeah, because we do know that sometimes people go to confront someone they think is a killer to get them to confess. So, it's. I'm just saying it's conceivable. Do I think that's the most likely story? Mm, but I think it's conceivable. Just saying. Yep. In a separate text, though, to her deceased brother, JJ, she had written, quote, sent a blank to my brother. I owe him that body, unquote. And police interpreted this as a message to JJ that she had avenged his death. And maybe, I still, I feel like you could also argue for me that maybe she just didn't intend to avenge, but she ended up avenging. Yep. And so if you have seen any reporting of this crime, and this is how I came across it, the most most of the headlines about this crime reported it as a sister tracking down her brother's killer and killing him. That's what drew me to this because I was like, this girl literally tracked down her brother's killer and murdered him. How have I not heard about this? Yeah. And so at this point, that is how that narrative came about. As the police are like, she avenged her brother. She hunted this guy down thinking he killed her brother and she shot him. Yeah. Okay. So... 
at a witness did come forward to talk to police about what she saw. There was a couple of witnesses and the main witness said that she saw Titiana shoot first. This particular witness said that she arrived home at her apartment complex, which is where this was all taking place in the parking lot. And this witness also had her four-year-old son, which is very sad because she's kind of involved in the shooting on accident. And she saw a black Ford escape blocking her path into the parking lot. She said she did not see who was inside the vehicle. This is not the same witness that saw them get out. And I'll get to that witness in a minute. This witness did not see who was inside the black Ford escape, but when she arrived, two men were standing near it. Later, these men were identified as Lars and his brother. She says that the two men turned to walk away from the vehicle, and that's when Titiana fired a bullet at Lars, and one of the brothers returned fire. So in this version of events, only Lars shoots back at her. When Lars fell to the ground, the witness heard his brother yell, fuck, 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 and the black Ford Escape left, and this witness helped the brother load Lars into the backseat of the Toyota so he could try and take his brother for help. This unidentified witness also told police that she is the one who put the men's guns in the glove compartment. And I think that's important because that means that the two guns were both out when mm-hmm. she got there, and then she put them in the car. So, th- so that is why I wondered earlier, because like there are multiple versions of the gun thing. And like, I looked at some of the court documents. It's honestly not clear if those 845 bullets all came from Titiana's gun because this gun was out of the scene and the report never like states directly if the 45s were all from her gun. Yeah. Like it says, like acknowledges that the nine millimeters were from Lars and also that bullets were fired from his gun, but it doesn't specify if one of those guns was the 45. Right. So it's interesting to note that it's possible that Titiana did not fire all the 45 caliber bullets because there was another 45 caliber gun at the scene. Yeah, exactly. And I did look to try to find more court documents to see if any of the like reports or any kind of police reports stated which gun it was that fired those, and I couldn't find it. Yeah. The witness did not know any of the people involved, so she had no idea who Titiana was or Lars or his brother. She just was trying to help because, again, she stumbled upon a shooting, and her vehicle actually also sustained at least one gunshot. But fortunately, she and her son were both uninjured, and she was able to go about her day. And she's just listed as unidentified because I guess she doesn't want people to know who she is because of safety reasons. I could understand that. Memento Mori. An object serving as a warning or reminder of death. Death is inevitable, but how it happens can be tragically unfair. It can be dark, cruel, hateful, or just plain bizarre. I'm Megan, and I'll be your guide through these stories of chaos and devastation. Come listen as we dive into all types of true crime cases and learn about the evil that lurks among us as well as the victims that deserved none of it. You can go to mementomoripod.com for more information. Monsters are real, and they look like people. It's important for us to talk about that this is not the first time that Lars was shot up. Wow. Yeah, so on January 11th, this was two days before Titiana's alleged attack on him, someone actually shot at Lars while he was driving a white GMC rental car. Damn. Yeah, it's a bad day for rental cars. Yeah, for real. These rental cars are getting all shot up. Yeah. He was driving this white GMC rental, and a witness said that he told them that he was shot at by family. And after this vehicle was shot up, 
he just abandoned it somewhere. Now, according to some statements, it's possible that Titiana was this person who shot up the car, but she seems to suggest that she did not do this. Yeah. So there's not any really way to tell who did it, but that's important to note that this isn't the first time that he's been shot at, but it is believed from authorities and also from statements that Lars made himself that this shooting was connected to the belief that he shot JJ. Right. So that is what is happening with this. Now, it's clear that Titiana and her side of the family blame Lars for JJ's death. But Lars' side of the family claims that he loved his family. He had five kids and they describe him as caring about his family and that they don't think he did it. And all, But also there's some like weird cryptic comments where people are like, you don't... Family doesn't shoot family like this. Instead of just saying, like, he didn't do it. Right. More just like, yeah. It's kind of an evasive statement. So it's hard because I just feel like it's difficult when you're in a family to, like, turn on people that you love. And I I do wonder if that's partly what's going on with that. Because there are several people in his family that talked to the news and said that they didn't think he did it. And that this was wrong that he was taken. And that he really loved his kids. But then you have the other side of the family that thinks that he did it. Right. So... That's what's happening. And I will tell you that the police have not identified any other suspects. And I like scoured the internet looking for any kind of indication that police were investigating JJ's death anymore or that there's any other suspects that come forward or that police have been like, we, there's no reason for her to kill this guy or in the, any kind of thing like that. Even in her like charging documents or anything, it doesn't seem to indicate any of that. So that makes me wonder. And also too, as I said before, there's multiple family members who have Facebook pages that are appear to be entirely public because they're so chock full of, of posts. And they've talked about this crime and they've talked about Titiana's situation and no one has said that there's any other suspects or that there's still an investigation. Like, it really does appear that the general consensus is that Lars probably did have something to do with it. Right. And again, he's a grown man. He's like 36 and this is a 16-year-old child. So I think that... Because of that, I feel like she just cracked. Yep. Now, this is a side note, but I promised you, like, Russian dolls were the crimes. But one of Lars's children also died from murder. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and this is like a whole case by itself. I, I mean, I just, I can't. So this is what happened. Lars, Keith Lars III, this was his fifth child, died by drowning at six months old. In December 2017. Wow. Authorities accused the baby's mother of holding him under the water until he drowned and charged her with child abuse resulting in death. A witness told police that he saw Sydney Jones, that's the baby's mother, hold baby Keith under the water in her bathtub and the water had actually reached up to Sydney's elbows. So like that's like a pretty deep bath. Yeah. Later, a jury convicted Sydney Jones of killing her baby, and the judge sentenced her to life in prison. But it's important to note that her defense and her family say that this was a miscarriage of justice because Sydney had actually been showing signs of mental illness from before this crime ever happened. And she was going around telling people that she was a child of God and that she was doing all these things on behalf of God and, like, totally had, like, been out of her mind right before she had killed her son. And that she also said that she was possessed on the night of the murder. And a psychologist says that she has paranoid schizophrenia and that that's why this happened. Because she had been like a good mother and then started being weird and then, you know, drowned her baby. Yep. However, the court psychologist and court prosecutor disagreed 
and the jury sided with him. Although I do think it's important to note that Sidney Jones is black and I just feel like it has something to do with that because other women have gotten less punishment or have gotten mental health stuff from the same kind of stuff from literally the exact same story but then she gets life in prison and there it wasn't just that she was saying she was a child of god there was like a series of of things and a lot of people had experienced her saying these things like it wasn't like one person came forward later like this had been documented and then the court's like no she's fine she's just evil which i think is wrong yeah but it's also a sad that this poor baby died Yes, it is. So it doesn't, like, make it less sad that the baby died. But I just don't think that she should have gotten life in prison. I think she should have gone to the hospital. Yep. But it's just, just show, goes to show, though, how much loss this poor family has experienced. Because if you recall, like, this baby would have been related mm-hmm. to all the to, like, Titiana and her side of the family. Maybe distantly, but still, like, not that distant. Just cousins. Yep. That's just so horrible. And so at this point... This is where the controversy comes in because, not with the baby, but with Titiana. Because the police re- arrested Titiana for murder. And she's currently in jail. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, but a lot of people ha- were criticizing her. And a lot of people point out vigilante justice is wrong, which is true. This is our second vigilante justice case. And we talked about this the last time. That it's so easy to target the wrong person when you're trying to do that kind of thing. And a lot of times... When it's the wrong person, it ends up just kind of allowing people to target, you know, a lot of times it's black, indigenous, and people of color who get targeted in general cases. And it's not right that people are getting killed or getting, like, attacked when they didn't do anything. But at the same time, I don't think that her case is like this, like every single other case, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's important to think of her as being unique because she had watched the murders of her brother and cousin go unsolved for four years. Well, for over four years. Mm-hmm. And I, and also too, she was so young. Like she lost her first brother at 16, her second brother at 21. And she's gone again. Most of her, like, you know, adolescent years here, she's been dealing with this unsolved murder and then to lose her brother and then feel like they know who did it and have watched her other brother not get justice I just don't think that you can go through that kind of trauma and not have extensive, like, psychological scarring that makes you think this is your only way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where she was operating from. And so, yes, vigilante justice isn't okay. But at the same time, I just, with in Titiana's case, I don't think that this should be treated the same way as if she was just, like, a regular person who hadn't had any kind of thing happen to her. Or, like, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just think that she had... Things in her past that made her less culpable is what I'm trying to say. I yeah, I can definitely understand that. I mean, like given what she's gone through, she probably has no faith in you know police or justice that that are going to mm-hmm. happen. You know, and I mean, I can totally understand why you might feel like you had to do something yourself. Yeah, especially you know? too because like I know going through grief myself, just how how shocking and terrible and like how bad it's been and how how everything in my life has changed and how my perspective on everything has changed. And she's had to do this twice with her brothers. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I feel like that's a whole different layer because they're, you don't expect your siblings to die like until you're really old. Yep. And so to lose them like this, I just feel like, and her cousin as well, it's just like too horrific, I think, for a person to handle. Yep. Despite all this though, prosecutors charged Titiana with second degree murder and armed criminal action and if she's convicted of second-degree murder, she'll face 3 to 15 years in prison, unless her gun was illegal, in which case she'll face 5 to 15 years in prison. 
The court held her in the Jackson County Jail on a $200,000 bond. However, though, her case garnered a lot of attention because she's a very sympathetic figure once you know her story and people had been reporting this, like all the headlines said, sister hunts down her brother's killer and like shoots him. Yep. And so initially there seemed to be celebrity support because rappers the baby and 42 Doug stepped forward with an offer to help pay for her bond. Initially 42 Doug first offered on Instagram to pay the 20,000, which would be 10%, which is usually what you need to get someone out of jail. And then, cause you just like have like a loan, I guess for the rest of it from like a loan uh, person. Yeah. And then the baby responded and offered to contribute as well. However, this became really controversial for a couple of reasons. And one is because advocates were coming forward opposing this, saying that by celebrities paying for her bell and appearing to support her, that they were supporting vigilante violence and, like, encouraging people to do these kinds of things. And so that they, it seems like that offer just kind of faded away because Titiana is still in jail based on what her family's been posting on social media uh, because they've been trying to get her out still and they're posting, like, free Titiana and things like that. Yeah. Some, um, unfortunately, though, the media buzz did attract more attention to JJ's death, which ended up with his mother getting a lot more people contacting her, but specifically about the rappers. And so she got a little upset because she said she got more comments about the rappers than she did about her son's loss, like condolences for her loss. And that had been something that was hard for her because, you know, she's getting this kind of media blitz situation, but then not getting the support she needs for losing her her son. Right. And this is her second son, so I don't even know how she's dealing. And also, then her daughter is arrested, so now she's got three kids that are, like, that she does not have access to. Yep. Additionally, I did want to note that some scammers took advantage of Titiana's situation and posted fake GoFundMe accounts that reported to be raising funds to help her. So this also was a nightmare for her family because then people were constantly posting them on Facebook being like, is this real? Is this real? Is this real? Is this real? And the family had actually not set one up. So like pretty much all of them were fake, which is just also unfortunate because, you know, people are taking advantage and they do need money to support her because she does, she is still in jail right now. Yep. Um, based on my extensive Facebook stalking, and I will tell you guys, I spent hours on these people's Facebooks because I was trying to get some extra details to go with the news, the crime, like the news articles that I found and the court documents that I found. It looks like Titiana did not get out of jail because in February 2021, they were still posting about trying to get her free. And so, you know, if she wasn't in jail, they wouldn't be posting that. Right. And I did find a secret Facebook account for Titiana. I'm not leaking that one. I linked some of the other ones. But I didn't want to, like, expose her private account because it seems like it's a secret because it's under a fake name. But she does have a lot of supporters out there, including family, friends, and her girlfriend, Andrea. And it's just, it's sad, I think, that her mom, or it's just horrible, really, that her mom not only has lost two sons, but her only daughter is behind bars and was arrested, like, right after her son was murdered. So it's just extra horrible and can this woman not just have something? Yeah, she can't catch a break. Like, really, just let her yeah. have her daughter. It's sad. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I that's why I said this was controversial, though, because I know that, again, it's wrong for people to do vigilante justice, but I feel like we've acknowledged there's a lot of cases where people have gotten 
not punished for that. Like as an example, here in Texas, I've mentioned this before, there was a dad who caught a man raping his six-year-old and then he beat that man to death while they were waiting for the police to arrive. And he did not get in trouble at all. I mean, to be fair, this man felt sad afterwards because he murdered somebody. We didn't really, I don't know if it's murder. He killed somebody. He killed somebody. And so that he got like off on, I guess it was considered defense of his daughter or something like that. Because he didn't really mean to do it. But still, like this is a similar situation. And like also, I know that there have been parents that have killed their like their spouses who had molested their kids. I know that's different because it's kids, but in this case, her JJ was a kid. JJ was a child, mm-hmm. and he was. I mean, I'm. It's hard because I understand that Lars's family has a different perspective, and that they support him, and that this has been a tragic loss for them. And his kids have lost their father, which is horrible. And obviously, since I lost my mother, I feel like you know really sorry for them and I know that must have been just the worst but at the same time if if the family had if they if he really did do this and again I did look and there don't seem to be any other suspects and there seems to be an indication that the family does suspect that he's the one who did it if he did do it I don't really know that it makes sense to have her in jail yeah and I just I find it suspicious that there weren't any other leads and I think it's clear that Losing her two brothers to violence like this would cause her to be under extreme emotional distress. And I think that she believed that shooting Lars would get justice for her brother. And I I personally don't think that that's murder because it sounds like temporary insanity brought on by extreme grief. Because if she thought what she was doing was the right thing, that's literally the definition mm-hmm. of like pleading insanity. Is If she thinks this is what's the right thing to do is to shoot at him. Mm-hmm. And then it worked. Like she killed him. I don't know how that is murder. I mean, if nothing else, it might be like manslaughter or something, but I, I've seen more like she really needs some kind of support to, to like heal from what's happened to her. Like you can't just expect someone to go through this kind of a trauma at a young age and then be fine. Yep. Like, I don't know why people think that people are just going to be fine, but she needs help. And I just am not convinced that, that like putting her in jail makes sense in this regard. It's just, I don't know. I think it's wrong. I agree. And I understand, again, that the district attorney, the district attorney, (laughs) the district attorney can't just allow vigilante justice, but I feel like they don't have to go after murder and they don't have to make her sit in jail because who is she a danger to now? Like she shot the person she thought killed her brother. Unless there's another murderer out there that killed her brother, who is she going to go after? Nobody. Like the only reason to have her sitting in jail is if you think she's a danger to the public and she's clearly seems to not be a danger to the public because... She was a danger to this one person who, you know, attacked her brother. Yep. Again, unless there's, like, other people out there, I guess. They might be being like, well, we still haven't gotten this guy, so. I came across Titiana's story by accident, and I'm completely obsessed now. So I will be following, and I just had to tell you now. I know that's not resolved because she's still awaiting trial, but I'll keep you updated if anything new happens, if I can find out. And I realize that this is probably controversial. I'm sure people have strong opinions about it. I'd imagine we have a bunch of listeners that are thinking, wow, Danielle, you're wrong. Vigilante justice is bad, which I agree it's bad. I just, again, I think this is a unique case. And I'm sure we have some people that agree with me and some people that are not happy with the fact that someone was killed. It's just, it's a lot. I thought it was a good discussion. And maybe if you want to, you can comment on our, I'll try to make a post about this one. For realsies. So if you want to post your opinion, you totally can. And also you can, you know, email us if you have an opinion at badxpod.gmail.com. 
If you would like to follow us on social, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Bad Axe Pod. And we also have a Patreon where we have a lot more episodes. There's a link in our show notes, but it's patreon.com backslash Pod. And also, we'd appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to our podcast. If you're a new listener, if you could not rate us just based on the vigilante justice part, like, we don't support that, to be clear. I'm just worried that people are going to be new and be like, I don't, this podcast supports vigilante justice. Right. We really don't. It's just that I don't, I feel like this case is unique. Maybe I'm wrong. You can totally argue with me. Just if you could, like, send me those arguments, that would be great. Yep. And, Aaron, do you have any final comments about the case? I think it's definitely a very unique case, like you said, and it's it's really just very tragic to see you know everything that's happened, and it's it's really tough to see her go to you know to prison, uh, pr- presumably you know over over this because you know like you say, I mean that's I, th- I think you can make make a lot of arguments about that. So I mean definitely a lot of tragedy all around, and you just hope for the best resolution that we we can get, right? Yeah, I really hope that something positive happens for her and her family. Also that her, her little cousin and her little brother get justice and we find out what happened to them. And then things just get better for everyone. Like no more horrible things, just positive things for the future Absolutely. will hopefully happen for them. Cause I feel like they deserve something good to happen. Yeah. That I totally needs to agree. Happen. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, the only thing we haven't told you about is our website. So Aaron, our website is badxpod.com. It's a great website. Go check it out guys. Woot. All right. Well, we will see you very soon with more true crime. Please uh, let us know if you have any thoughts about this case. We will see you later. Bye-bye. Bye.